Welcome to Seemingly Ordinary. It's a podcast where I interview people who on the surface may appear to be ordinary, but underneath the surface, they have amazing things going on. Today, I'm here with Abby Herrick and her friend Molly Cook, Mm -hmm. and we're going to talk with Abby first. Abby wrote two plays that just 100% floored me. She also wrote one of the funniest speeches I've ever heard, and not only that, the speech was uplifting all at the same time. So Abby is a sincere Catholic. She studies English and education at K-State. She comes from a family of medical practitioners, and she has all kinds of interesting creative hobbies, which we're going to get into. And so today we're going to talk about all of the above, plus her writing techniques, and many other things. And her friend Molly Cook is here to join us. So hi, Abby. Hello. And Molly. Hi. Well, I just can't wait to get into this. Um, I really do want to ask you, Abby, about your future plans and everything like that. But before we do, I was just kind of hoping we could go back to childhood. I just always kind of love seeing how people as kids, just how that materializes today. So just what kind of a little girl were you? Oh, my goodness. Um, I... I've always had an interesting conversation with a friend the other week, like talking about our first loves. Mm. Um, And I remember really loving detail, something like I think unique to my childhood. I first off like had the gift of like a family that loved learning um, and a mother who always took us to the library and like bought us books that interested us. And I don't know, have either of you guys seen like a cross-section book? Mm. What's a cross-section book? book? Like create your own adventure or similar? It's it's like if you've ever seen a very detailed illustration of like a pirate ship that's like cut in half. Oh. Or like an Egyptian temple um, or a castle. They're by, I don't know if anyone knows, like, Stephen Beastie. People are like, who is that? But he wrote these really magnificent um, cross-section books. And I would, like, pour over one page for 45 minutes. Like, just look at all the details. Um, You're looking at the castle. Yeah. Or the princess's bedroom or the pirate ship. Yeah. And they were, were, like, historically accurate, too. And I would love every little, like, just love detail. Um, also had like a dollhouse book where they made it out of paper dolls and then like photographed it and everything was miniature. And like that kind of thing inspired so much wonder in me. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I'm also told that I was very imaginative. Like I had my own little language and like could very much self-entertain. I think that's a youngest child thing. I don't know. Or like the younger you get, the more they're like, you're on your own for this. Your own little language. <laughs> Yeah, I would just, like, conversate. Yeah. Make up words. Make up words. Like, bippity-boppity-boo or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a specific word that you'd like to share? I don't Can be our little secret in whoever's listening to this podcast. I don't know if I have any, like, (laughs) words that I've retained from that, but I do think that's interesting (laughs) that, like, even long before we can learn definite words in a language, we want to we can conversate we have a language instinct yeah and we just we want to speak yeah that is so interesting to me yeah maybe because we hear our parents voices when we're in the womb 
So we hear all of that language for nine months. And then when we come out, naturally, the first thing we do is, well, they make us speak because they slap us and then we cry. <laughs> yeah. Make a noise. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I think that is, I think that's really interesting. We, oh. we also made to communicate, like, just love that about humans. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So as a kid, you were very imaginative. You were focused on details. You liked to look at blueprints or cross, cross prints. The closest thing you could compare them to are blueprints. Okay. It's very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So then as you got into, I don't know, say junior high or your teen mm-hmm. years, what, what happened? Well, I was very social. That was another thing. Um, I was, it's kind of weird. I don't know if I had a conscience to like sixth grade. So I would like pit my friends against each other all the time just to entertain myself. Like, <laughs> you're such a moral kind person now. Oh, oh but back in the know. day, you're Machiavelli. It a little, yeah, it's a little like terrifying to me because I'm, I describe it to people and they're like, that's something a sociopath would do. Mm. Like, I would, yeah, I'd be like, I'm bored right now. I just want to like tell, I would like tell one friend lies about the other friend and like see it all go down. Um, like be entertained quietly as they were fighting. So that's terrible. I was like kind of a ringleader. Um, yeah, had all these little, little friends and that, that continued. I think, I mean, even still like, I don't know. Fortunately, the Lord changed that. I think middle, Middle school is hard. Like, I think it's hard for everyone. It was um, for me. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey. But yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead. Yeah. Middle school is hard. Um, and I think, like, the sufferings of coming of age and insecurities and, like, losing friends. Um, because you're pitting them against each other? Yeah. I, <laughs> well, I mean, that also just, I'm not sure what happened, but I think, God for it, I mean, there were hard years. And that's partly why, like, I think I feel a lot of sympathy for that age group, for adolescents, because, yeah, you, as you become self-aware, like, there's things like bullying, there's things like isolation. Um, And so I think suffering purified me in a way and, like, compelled me to reach out in faith and also just this love of truth. Like, it was there in the... um, and my love and like wonder for the cross sections, but I think I was exposed to the works of like Therese of Lisieux. I think it might have been like eighth grade. Um, loved Story of a Soul, and like it all began there. This journey, like walking hand in hand and trying to be virtuous, trying to be a good friend, um, having a conscience. Like <laughs> when the conscience. Comes. Abby, <laughs> Abby, I'm dying to hear one of these stories where you pitted friend A oh, against friend man. B. You're so bad. Um, well, one of them, I was in like the geography B or something, and I heard word that my friend Caroline, we like laughed about this now, but like back then I'm just like, the word. I heard my friend Caroline um, was like telling people that I didn't make it as far as I made it. And I was like, what? how dare she? So I took my friend Cosette, and I was like, we're going to go confront Caroline in the bathroom. <laughs> like, Caroline cries, thank heavens. A teacher finds us and is like, what are you doing? Like, that's one. I just had one where I, like, I would, like, go up to one friend and, like, I'd say, so, like, Ellie said this about you. Ellie did not. And, like, 
then that friend would be very hurt. (laughs) Why would she say such a thing? Why would she say that? Yeah. I don't understand. Can you guys interpret that for me? Like, why would a kid do that? Like, pit their friends against each other. I don't know. I don't know either. My my theory on drama (laughs) is that people create drama because they're bored. If they weren't bored, they would, like, I, okay, I'll just give you an example. If you see a girl who is taking four AP classes, and she's involved in the play, and in the other season she plays the sport, she probably is not creating very much drama because she has too much to do. So she's got enough going on, but when bored, eh, you know, let's create some drama. That's a good philosophy, which I love that, like, educators, you're like, Give people some real food to chew on or like, yeah, conversation yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope. I don't know. That's just my theory. Yeah. I'm not a psychologist. Yeah. I don't really know. I should probably look it up and right. see if I can figure out where drama actually well, comes from. Know, drama is good. I, I love drama. Let me just say that. I love, <laughs> I personally am the most dramatic person I know and I love drama and it doesn't have to be negative. I feel, be a really positive I feel like thing. we live positive drama well. What is positive drama? (laughs) I think it's, you know, so before we started this podcast, we were talking about um, range of emotion. And, you know, this is Abby's podcast, so I can talk about this online. But um, experiencing emotion deeply um, from... The highs to the lows? Yes, exactly. And I think there's something exciting and exhilarating about Hmm. being able to take that journey from one to the next from top to bottom or from bottom to top um if that makes any sense probably not well it does i'll just give you a different kind of a different emotion that people love to experience Mm -hmm. people will play sports or watch a sports game or they will do like an adventure race like a tough mutter or something like that because they want thrills yes you know, because like, I don't know, let's say I'm a 28 year old guy. I work in a cubicle someplace. I'm actually kind of bored out of my mind. So I train on the weekends so that I can do a, you know, 10 mile obstacle course thing where I'm leaping over fire, crawling under barbed wire. Did you Ju- leap over fire in the Tough Mudder? Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. That's kind of a standard thing in those things like the Rugged Maniac. <laughs> they all have that. You know, it's, you kind of wish the flames were bigger. You're kind of like, oh, that's a birthday candle. You know, so, I mean, you're sort of like, hey, I paid a hundred bucks for a birthday candle. I mean, you're a little upset to be entirely honest, but I guess people are pursuing exhilaration. And then, well, here's another example. People go to the movies and they go to the movies because, you know, some people want to cry their eyes out. Other people want to laugh their faces off. So I just, I think that intense emotion Mm -hmm. that you're talking about, sometimes we avoid it in real life, I suppose, because we're scared of it. Right. But, you know, that's, when, Mm. when you learn to embrace it and sit with it, I think that's when you kind of become a master of your own drama. (laughs) And, um... I, and not be so afraid of it. Yeah, it's not something to be afraid of. Anyways, mm-hmm. I well. No, it's good. It's good. And I, I hope we'll revisit this drama. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Maybe, you know. Yeah. Okay. Turn into I have questions. Again. I have questions about that, though. Like mm-hmm. how to live drama in a healthy way. In a healthy way. Mm-hmm. How to live your own drama. Live, yeah. 
Well, if nothing else, how about we just sit in a chair whenever we're either exhilarated or depressed and just feel the emotion fully without doing what people would call self-medication. In other words, like too much alcohol, too much drugs, overspending, overeating, Distraction. over gambling, you know, reaching for Instagram, you know, just, just in other words, confront the emotion, sit with it, figure out something to do with it. Yes. Maybe view the emotion as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Like if you're sad, mm-hmm. there's probably a reason you're sad. Mm-hmm. And all the people saying, oh, mm-hmm. don't be sad. You shouldn't be sad. You know, tell them to take a flying leap. You know, maybe the emotion is there to teach you something that you need to know. Something that you didn't know. Yeah, maybe you're mm-hmm. sad for a reason. You know, or happy or, or just whatever you might be. Yeah. That's, I don't know, that's my thought on it. But, you know, what do I know? Should we get back to Should we get back to Abby's story? This was a nice little nice little excursion. Um, okay, so you, you get to the you get to the teen years. What are the teen years like? Oh man! Well, my time at St. James. Uh, <laughs> where we are currently. Um, it was good. Very formative. I was reflecting. Because life only gets more joyful. I'm sure you probably agree, Molly. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, life only gets more joyful. Like, compared now compared to my teen years, I'm like, whoa. Everything is, like, vastly better. Um, but they very much made me. Like, I had a friend who was telling me. Like, I was reflecting on these cringy memories in high school. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I want to erase those. <laughs> um, she was like, no, think of, think of that time as, like, the years that made you. You couldn't be in any other, you couldn't be where you are without them. So, yeah, I had good teachers. Um, I had good adults who poured into me, like youth ministers. Um, I fought with my mother a lot. <laughs> that was like, that was, yeah, and like now we're good. I just recall and I'm like, oh my gosh, lots of drama. Um, I got along with my dad pretty well. What else? What else? Yeah, lots of time with friends. Mm-hmm. They very much formed me, too. Um, Abby, you've always seemed so composed and articulate and elegant to me. Mm-hmm. And when you say cringy moments, I, I'm just... Oh, I'm, What are you even talking about? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, mm, I gave myself haircuts a lot, and sometimes they didn't go as well as I wanted <laughs> <laughs> That's what, or just like, I don't know, I like gave a love letter to, now he and I are friends, but like, I don't know what I was thinking, but I gave a love letter to a boy that like said, I love you as a sister, but also like, and I didn't even know him very well. That was so impulsive. Like, Hello, random boy. Here, I love you. boy, yeah. He, I don't know how he pulled it off as well as he did, because we're friends now. If a, if a guy gave me that kind of letter, I would like run. But you would have graduated from a different high school. I would have, yeah, I would have gone somewhere else. But cringy things like that. I mean, I have a lot of good laugh stories, a lot of bad driving stories. They're unformed prefrontal cortex. Like, there, yeah, so many curbs. I just like went up blindly, and I'm reflecting. I'm like, I should not have been driving. Like, why was I driving? But yeah. You probably had zero points on your record. Your record was probably spotless. Oh, somehow, yeah. 
Somehow I've never been pulled over, but I've okay. driven over in the median. Okay. I've crashed. This is funny. This is like kind of just my high school dichotomy. I was driving into a Latin mass at 6 a.m. with a friend laughing my head off about something. And I went up the curb like 40 miles per hour. What? No. Yeah. And so we like called my insurance because I don't know how to change tires. Still don't. Mm. I mean, I probably should. But like, like you said, I feel I relate to the whole like technical thing. It's like if there's any kind of like follow directions, it's like such a pain. But he shows up and he's probably like, what are these girls doing here in long skirts and veils? Like, having <laughs> 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 popped, your, popped your tire in the Latin mass parking lot. He calls in to dispatch, and he's like, uh, the Amish popped a tire. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, I have no idea why he was guessing about us. Funny. Okay. So then you go off to college. What is college like? Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Um, I was brought into mentorship by an older friend, and so that has been life-changing. What, what is mentorship? It's kind of... It's like, it's just what Jesus did with his disciples, like shared life. Um, it's a friendship, but she also like holds me accountable for many things. Um, so that has been so good. Like friendships getting deeper. I think in high school, you probably witnessed this. There's a lot of like venting about your own problems. One kid vents right. and the next kid vents. And it's kind of like, you listen a little bit, but there's not a whole lot of like, oh, mm-hmm. you're sad today. Yeah. Why? Like Being seen in your emotions mm. yeah yeah because no one i'm just gonna say it if you vent to someone well i guess it depends on how you would vent but very little you know does someone come to me complaining about someone else and i i care i mean it's that's not to say that i don't care but you know um with gossip or with um, just frustration that is meaningless, that just needs to be shouted into the void. <laughs> if people come to me with that, or I'm sure, I think most people probably feel this way. You're like, all right, let's just... It sounds like you're see. making a distinction between, hey, this person is just venting, or no, wait a minute, this other person has an actual serious right. problem. And and and, it, and yeah, so like you've, yeah. how you present that to someone yeah. that matters. You've just sort of learned to filter out. Hey, when is this person just sounding off versus when does this person actually need my help? Right. That's kind of what I'm hearing you say. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's so. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. You. Yeah. There's like I feel like you go through as you go through college, you learn to truly listen. Mm-hmm. That's a gift of college. Um, and also just like, it was a huge intellectual awakening. Granted, I had that in high school. Like I had teachers who encouraged my intellectual life and spiritual life like um, in amazing ways. I think particularly in college, you get there though. And like at a state university and like I, you probably have this too, Molly, at like, yeah, going to this secular ballet world and you meet people who disagree with everything you've ever known and like have smart attacks on it. Um, and so that's, oh, yes. oh yeah, yeah. And so that propelled me to like seek truth um, in a deeper way and like seek to love people, not in this like, you know, condescending way. But like if we are, if we are Christians, it's truly about like, yeah. 
actually truly loving the other person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, a brilliant thing that I read a long time ago, I really liked this was, is that you really have to separate the person from their ideas because mm-hmm. you might meet somebody who believes the opposite of everything you believe. And if you just look at the ideas, you will hate the person. Because if you hate those ideas, then you might just hate the person. But if you can separate those two things, I guess it's kind of like the uh, love the sinner, uh, hate the sin type of an attitude. Yeah. And I think that's why the world is always under an identity crisis. It's because of that very thing. And not just with certain things that you know, the church believes in um, that are really prevalent right now in the world. But I think just in terms of day-to-day actions, you know, that just becomes, people don't know how to um, recognize what a true identity is in another person. And I think that that's... You mean to see past, to see past the ideas that they might have. Right. Even, even just, even just to the day to day, little tiny decisions um, that people just, I don't know. See, I, I, I've really come to believe that, I, this is part of why I like this podcast, because oftentimes I get people's stories, they tell me their stories, and you see stories, you don't see necessarily like just a collection of ideas that maybe mm-hmm. I like, maybe I don't like. Yep. You get to see... Motion over time. You get to see plot. You get to see character. And you also get to see like hopes, dreams, and aspirations. And you get to see maybe fears and failures that people have. And these things are all very personal. And there's just so many people, I think, who would just prefer that we all kind of be standardized. Like, oh, that we could be classified as maybe this type of a set of people or that type of a set. You know, like, hey, you're like a Democrat or a Republican or a vegetarian or a libertarian or something, you know. I'll do both. I I sign up for all of them. Vegan. I'm a a vegan carnivore Rastafarian. (laughs) Wow. Carnivore. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So college also deepened you is kind of what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It really did. There's so much. College is so formative. Kids who are going high school to college, like, there's words can't describe what to prepare them for. Because I think you also, it's, it's kind of like that jump in adolescence from childhood to adolescence. You know, you get the self-awareness. And I don't know if you got this coming home from college and you're like, my parents are human. Mm. Like, they, A, need love in a way I didn't think they did. And B, aren't, like, infallibly right about everything. <laughs> right. But also, like, yeah, they're they're like they formed me and they they loved me. I think that was another part of coming back. Um, yeah, and like also there's an isolation in college you get, and like I think a huge journey I've been on is that like I actually love this. Thomas Merton says this. He says like, in as much as someone's like different from you, like that shouldn't be a cause of like despair. Like I will never connect. It's like as long as we are different that's like a mark of individuality. Like if I didn't feel this distinct separateness from Molly, then like I wouldn't be an individual. Like in a way, um, yeah, the isolation is like part of how God works out individuality. There's this incommunicable part of me 
that you will never understand, that only God will understand. And, like, that also is my individuality. And so mm. I think I was feeling, like, sadness about, like, you know, disconnect, but realizing, like, it's embracing, like, people, even despite the disconnect, meaning, like, they can never be, like, God to me. They can never understand that, like, hidden part of myself. But, um, yeah, we can still, like, love each other. Um, that's so important. Why, why did you feel alone? or? I don't know. I think I... I think sometimes it's discouraging how bad at listening people can be. I think also I was getting in my head, I have kind of a melancholic, you know, like poor temperament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like sanguine, choleric, melancholic, yeah. phlegmatic. Phlegmatic. Yeah. Which one are you guys? Are you phlegmatic? You think so? I don't know. For clarity, could you describe for people who are not familiar with these four oh. temperaments, <laughs> you know, like what is a melancholic? Since, melancholic. Abby, since you're melancholic. They have a love, I know they have a love for arts. Um, they also like, they they like to contemplate. They think of, I think they're like very introspective. Um, they, the downside is that they're prone to sadness and prone to despair about things. And so there's like, I don't know, they're different from like, you know, people have to take personality tests. They're like, what is my MBTI or whatever that's called? Yeah, that's it. My Enneagram. And like those, I don't know, those are not, the Christ, Christianity embraces this four temperaments because yeah. they think Jesus Christ is the center. Like he treads all of them perfectly well. Like you see parts of the gospel where he's like choleric and insanguine. Like our goal is to get to the center. Like we are not perfect as we are, as other personality tests say. But like we're kind of born in one temperament and we're trying to make it to the other ones too. But I think, so like melancholics like that, um, sanguine is kind of like party animal. Fun loving. You're a party animal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> are you sanguine? I'm like, like I don't know, like about a third sanguine, half sanguine, okay. somewhere in there. Oh. Okay. Yeah. I'm curious. What do you think you are? I think I'm maybe partially choleric as well. Okay. But I'm also kind of a believer that if your life is going well and, and things are mm. progressing smoothly, then you should be developing maybe a secondary personality by the time you're roughly yeah. 30 and another mm. one by the time you're 40 and then by the time you're 50. So like in the Myers-Briggs world, for example, you know, I would have been an ENFP and I, and I still think of myself as an ENFP. Right. But, you know, over time, all of those things that you maybe didn't like to do as a kid so much you start to really enjoy it later on in life. That, you know, like maybe I didn't want to work with my hands when I was a kid. But then when I'm older, oh, maybe I want to garden. I want to woodwork. I wouldn't mind working with metal. If somebody taught me more about cars, like how to fix a car, you know, you'd find you start developing all of these other yeah. aspects to your personality. As you should. As you should. But, but then in a life tragically lived, you know, like maybe the person's under stress most of their life. Maybe they're in a war zone or something like this. Mm. Well, then they're going to have a hard time developing even their first personality because it's being so repressed by maybe society or or just whatever the circumstances may be. So so I, I think at my point, I probably should be developing most, but I think the core is probably like a sanguine choleric type of a thing. But like the, so the choleric is like the hard-charging leader type and I, I like to yeah. get a lot of stuff done, but I don't view myself as a leader. I view myself more as a catalyst. Like, I like to bring out the best in other people. If yeah. I can, I try to figure out, hey, who is this person? What do they like? Uh, what do they want to do? And then I want to help them figure out a way to do that thing. And then say, you're free. 
Now you can go off and be free. Like, I, I don't want to be in charge of people. And, uh, you know, some people go into teaching, I think, because they kind of want to be a cop. You know, they kind of want to enforce rules and so forth. I can't understand that. Well, it's an exhausting part of teaching to me. It's it's an impulse for some people, and for the most part, I don't have it. I taught college for about seven years before I taught high school, and uh, I I didn't need any rules because classroom management Mm -hmm. was a non-issue. Then when I got to high school, it turned out that you needed rules, Mm -hmm. and uh, I wound up having two rules, and I never tell anybody what they are until they break them. That's so interesting. That's nice. Yeah, it's worked great. It's worked absolutely great. Um, be <laughs> be good to other people, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and uh, do your work. Yeah. And I figured they knew the rules before they met me, so therefore I don't need to spend any time whatsoever going over the rules until somebody breaks the rules, and then I don't have to give them a warning about enforcing a rule because they got the mm-hmm. warning in kindergarten. So, and I'm not particularly harsh on this stuff. Another thing that a person has to kind of realize, I think, as a teacher, is you want to have a good relationship with your students. Like, you, you can't be their friend because you're too old, but you can be their ally, and that's a different thing. It's like a parent. A parent can be your ally. And so you have to work with that kid all year long. So if you turn this into some sort of a grudge match by Labor Day, guess what? You're going to have somebody who hates you in your room for the next nine months, and that is going to be awful. Yeah, and then that person is, you're going to turn that person into a little terrorist, and then they're going to hijack your whole classroom, and then you're going to have hell on earth from September until May, and you just don't want that. And so you always have to figure out, how can I preserve the relationship? You know, I'm not their parent, but if I were their parent, I would be thinking, how do I preserve this relationship with my kid? Because you don't want to get into like a thing where, oh, I hate my kid and my kid hates me. Mm-hmm. I, how does that work? It doesn't. So. I, I like that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm taking note of that. I think that's good. And, and you really have to kind of do classroom discipline according to what suits your personality, though. Because there's other people out there where they like everything super neat, super orderly. So then they wind up having 10 or 12 rules. But kids get used to it, and it functions just fine for them. I'm not that person, but other people are. So I I think you have to be yourself in these situations, unless you're a jerk, in which case I'd recommend that you become a fake. Yeah, become somebody else in that case. You are not unacceptable. You cannot be you. (laughs) So, sorry. I I think I diverted us for a little bit. Abby, let's go to your hobbies and activities Mm. You know, maybe from childhood until now, Hmm. you know, sports, the arts, religion, just whatever your hobbies and activities were. Um, Back to the details thing. I liked to, they call this imprinting, I think, or no, they call it scaffolding, I think, or template, no, templating, (laughs) templating is the word for it. Um, And I, I think it's a psychological like learning term. But I would like look at these cross-section books and then copy them down, like write my own. So I did one with like a ton of squirrels in a tree. It was like oh. a squirrel pa- I knew you're gonna love that. It was like a squirrel palace in a tree. That I, is yeah. the most Abby yeah. thing I've ever heard. I wrote lots of stories. Um, I had one story, I think you'd like this, Mr. Worker. It was like nine generations um, from the start of New Orleans 
to present day. And it, like, followed all these different, um, like, um, like, groups of people. And because New Orleans is such a melting pot, beautiful melting pot. And so, like, that was something I did. Like, I don't know how old I was, maybe 10. Um, This sounds like a 10-volume epic saga. It was, like, it, I remember writing all day. And, like, yeah, I, I just, like... Yeah, that was, that's funny. If I could get back to that, because I remember, like, this childhood fascination, like, where I could, like, read without interruption of thought whatsoever. And, like, nowadays, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I need to, like, you know, go make dinner, like, check this text right now um, when I'm trying to, like, get reading or writing done. But, like, as a child, like, that was just, you know, I don't know. like Total immersion. Total immersion. Yeah, I did ballet. I had behavioral problems in ballet. I remember that. Or like, would we it's talked about problem. this the other yeah. day? Well, it's not a problem we were, at all. We were both very chatty. You, yeah, I, I um. So that was, but I did like dancing, and I did dancing for a long time. Like, I liked the I think performance part. Um, I didn't practice ever. I should have. I do. Yeah, I played some piano. I played cello. Um, I still do dabble with that just a little bit. Like, all of those things really, yeah. I don't know, foster creativity. You, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no. <laughs> go ahead. Just that you are 100% in the arts, as far as I can tell. Were there any sports yeah, in yeah. there? We, funny enough, me and my sister, my sisters and I, we, like, really, evidently, here's how the story goes, Elda's sister was playing soccer, like, put her in soccer, and she would just stand in the middle of the game after the ball at all and they were like we're not putting our kids in soccer and then like second sister and her took ice skating and they would cry every day because they didn't like skating they like were scared of the blades and they go take gymnastics and they cry because they were scared of jumping in the foam pit (laughs) (laughs) and then they get to dance and they're like down for that so we all just did dance um we didn't yeah I still can't like throw a football to save my life um and like it's kind of funny kind of embarrassing like where people will be like let's play some like recreational tennis I'm like okay but you're gonna get angry with me mm-hmm. and like maybe I mean it kind of is like this underlying dream I was actually thinking of this this morning when I was like drinking my coffee and I was like you know if I started practicing tennis maybe I could like someday mm-hmm play tennis yeah. with people and like bond over that become sporty um yeah still down there but I ran I did like swimming dabbled all all those like oh my gosh I did not take those seriously I remember like one like swim practice just like laughing my head off with my friends and like not taking anything seriously <laughs> and like it was just so like I feel like swim is a sport here at SJA where like 90 girls do it and what, 45 of them just go to, like... It's social. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. But it was good exercise, like... Mm-hmm. So I still I still do those today, but... You swim like, and you run a little bit? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, good cardio. I'm a, yes. I'm a strong proponent of cardio. Absolutely. I could, I could see you also maybe doing Pilates or more dance or mm-hmm. yoga or something where you're kind yeah. of flowy, flowy exercises. Yeah. I would love to do bar. I don't have, do you ever do bar? Ooh. Like, mm-hmm. what do you, what do you guys do to like, I'm just very curious about like your daily like fitness routine. Mm. 
That's a good question. This, yeah. Well, should we save this for for my yeah, episode? Let's okay, save okay. it for the we'll next. Take note of, we'll take I like note of that. that. We'll I like say... that question, though. I'll be thinking on it because. We'll do that for the next one yeah. here. But but Molly is a professional dancer, and so the demands on her body cool. are quite extensive. Mm-hmm. So that will be an excellent thing for us to get into. Okay, the plays. Abby, let's talk about... There were were two plays that I saw that just really floored me, and I was kind of hoping you could describe the first one. Like, if you could just briefly do plot, character, setting, theme. Yeah. um, These plays I wrote in high school, they're like one acts. The first one I called Cross. Um, It's kind of a... It's a a very, like, heavy topic, Um, felt compelled to write it for like my own things that I was going through and also just struggles of friends um but basically the protagonist of the story she is standing on the ledge of a bridge and she's considering killing herself by jumping to her death and the stranger comes and talks to her and they conversate about her life and they like go through her strife her yeah her sorrows and um, in the end, so they kind of have this this argument, and she she gives way to him. She's like, "Okay, you're right. Um, it's her reason." And finally, she's like, "I I really would cross over, but like I just don't feel like I have the strength." Um, and I forget if he like lifts her over. I think we tried to do that, but it was like high schoolers, so he couldn't just like spin her over the edge. But like. I think he did lift her over, um, and this man had his hands in his his pockets, and he shows his hands, and they're like open wounds, like Christ, which is a very compelling. It was very compelling to see, like just like a teenage boy, like, I think he was a sophomore, um, lift her over, and like seeing Christ as him. Um, yeah. Because we don't know that it's Christ until he reveals his hands, essentially. And, you know, execution in art is everything. You can have, like, a brilliant plot, but if it's poorly executed, then it's it's just not any good. Or you could have, like, an average plot, and if it's brilliantly executed, well, this was so good. I mean, I just literally was just floored in my chair. It was just kind of one of those... Okay, all the air just got sucked out of my lungs, you know, situation. I just just was like devastated, but in a good way. I was just like leaning back in my chair without any energy, just asking myself, what did I just see? Because I, I really got sucked into the whole play in the sense of, hey, this girl is thinking about killing herself. And then she's chatting with this guy and then she presents what appear to be very compelling reasons. for. And then who, why would a stranger be interrupting this woman or if he was going to interrupt her why doesn't he call for help or why doesn't he do anything how can he possibly reach her how can he talk her out of this and then he does and then it's revealed that he has suffered enormously too and that was just powerful it was just just devastating in a good way for me i just wanted to compliment you on that that how old were you Sixteen or seventeen. Something, Mr. Webker. He had suffered enormously too. I didn't even like, you know, I had his hands pierced because like that's that's what it is. is. Um, 
Yeah, like just as an identification, this is Jesus in your sorrow. Um, but that he is, he is like the one who suffered. Um, but Abby, I think that's how really good art works is that there's beautiful things in it that are true that the artist herself may not even be aware at the time that's that like, she's... I love art, and now it, oh my God. Yeah, like, because maybe so maybe cool. you put these <laughs> things in or maybe we put these things in. I guess in psychology, they might call it a Freudian slip. It's where the truth really comes out about a situation because it was there in your mind. It, it's in your subconscious, and so it comes out. It comes out that, you know, she suffered, but he suffered too. So they are the same. That is so, my mind is blown. And I think that's like another, or there are many examples of this, how um, God can manifest in art. That's something you didn't even know that that was, I you am, know, yeah. that he was uh, like, but, oh, I'm gonna, but I'm going to, you know, hmm. I'm going to show up in this way that uh, like some people are going to receive. And obviously, you know, you've received it. And that's really beautiful. You didn't even know that. That's so cool. I didn't but know. you, but you just said yes and you participated. Well, people have pointed out that the artist cannot be aware of everything that she or he is putting into a work. Yes. That even if, if well, we don't know with Shakespeare, but because we don't know a lot about Shakespeare's personal life or how he composed plays or anything like that, mm-hmm. but there's so much data that's in any given play. I mean, it's really kind of overwhelming, like the level of detail that there's just no way the artist could be aware of every single thing. You know, like, let's just say a play is 30,000 words long. I mean, that's 30,000 separate little facts floating around. And then when you start combining them, then what are we up to? Two million facts? You know, it's just too much. Multiplies. Yeah, yeah. But I I thought it was brilliant, and I thought it was powerful, and, and I just think on some level you knew that you were aware. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong. I think I, yeah, I think it's the beauty also of bringing in truth, like bringing in Jesus Christ is that like anyone who speaks the truth, like he, he brings in this like all encompassing like truth beyond myself. Like even as an artist, I can't like, you know, yeah, I'm not articulating that well because I just think I feel dumbfounded, but like, (laughs) you know, anyone who speaks, yeah, speaking him, like, you find stuff, like, you find everything. Unfolds. Yeah. It's like, he's going to yeah. faster. Well, it's like they say with humor. I mean, what's really funny is something that has an element of truth in it. Mm. It's got to have some element of truth in it for <laughs> something to be really, truly funny. Well, yeah. Just a thought. Yeah. yeah. That's what they say. It's a wonder that we laugh. I yeah. That, yeah. Mm. Well, how did you come up with the idea for that play? I think I was swimming laps in swim at the time. Um... It was like, I want to write one act. Um, I had, I've had, this is interesting, I think God continually brings in people in, into my life um, who are depressed, who I've had many friends confide in me that they're like considering suicide. Um, and like just to be on the receptive end of that as a friend, because a friend is not a therapist, you know, and like many of them, yeah, like a trusted adult in you. And people think, like, everything's all right after that. It's like, no. Oftentimes, trusted adults know. It's just like, it's a very, yeah. But something very interesting, a friend told me, 
because he's a psych major, he said, yeah, as their therapist, I can help them in this and that way. But no, nothing is like a friend. Mm. I can never be their, like, I can't wow. be their friend. Nothing's like a friend. Like, a therapist is a therapist, but nothing's like a friend. Um, so no one's like the savior. So, like, I think reflecting on that, I think also just having my own, like, you know, getting down and out about things. I don't know. I, I think we ought to normalize, like, issues with depression and anxiety. I think, like, it's getting more normalized, but I think, like, high schoolers experience it very commonly. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, every high schooler did at one point. Um, Based depression or despair? Right. Yeah. How, how can you not? I, I think if you're oh a gosh. normal... If you're a normal human being, how can you not? That's very true. Yeah. It's part of the human experience. Mm -hmm. That's very true. And I think like a lot of high school, like when people describe, oh, I like Netflix binged, that is an um, honestly like automatic sign to me. I like wonder, are you depressed? Like, you know, why are you having this like unlimited desire to like numb yourself in that way? Um, or like... Yeah, there's just so many, yeah, there's so many, there's so many ways we can feel that. Um, so I think just speaking to that, to where it came from. Abby, I think that's really powerful. Let's move on to the second play. <laughs> wow. Because that one also, too, was, it, it just, I don't know, your art just, it feels like you're getting at the core of things with what you do. And that's what an artist really should do, is they should have just amazing truth, amazing truth. insight. They should just have vision. Truth so, is the core. Truth is the core. the core. So tell us the plot and the characters, setting and theme of the second play. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I, I just love Jesus as the protagonist. So Jesus is, again, a hidden character in this play. Um, basically, it's, um, a girl's at a party, and there's, like, raucous behavior as at a teenage party with illegal activity <laughs> is going on. Um, which is funny, like our imitation of it, I don't think any of a, any of the actors had ever been to a party where people are drunk. I've never been to, it's funny, I went to a wedding the other week and like this, this one, of, one of the other guests was talking to me and I later was asking someone, I was like, was he drunk? I like don't know what drunk people act like. <laughs> <laughs> like that kind of, you know, like shelteredness, which like thank heavens, like that shouldn't be a normal thing. But um, so there was a girl at a party. She wasn't enjoying herself. Um, so she goes to a room, like um, just goes and hangs out in a room, and the room is to to her surprise a confessional, mm. um, and she she has like various characters. Like first, her friends try to come in and pull her out. And then, um, who else tries to pull her out? Like, There's pull her out in a good way or a bad way? Pull her out of the confessional in a bad way. They're in a bad way. On, like, back to the party. Yeah. Okay. Come, come back to the party. Engage in illegal behavior. Come, come and be numb. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. 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 You want to be one of the cool kids. <laughs> I'm not yeah. saying if you go to a party, you're trying to be numb. But I think yeah. there's like that probably element of maybe temptation. I didn't see the play, but you know, that temptation when you have these external forces tempting you to escape from what 
you really desire, but you don't even know if it's what you desire because all of these things are so. Sorry, I'm just I'm I'm. Falling. You're you're just thinking. I'm just processing. No. Yeah. 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 So but like really cool. this external forces that keep you from making this like this this pathway because like. Okay, so she goes into a room. Is she doing it so that she can just gather herself, collect herself, figure out why am I here, who am I, what am I all about? Why, why does she go into the room? I think this is bad. I think either one of the characters said someone's in that room for you. I think she's, yeah, she's kind of collecting herself. She's kind of just like, I mean, if I were to make a plot adjustment, she would be collecting herself because I like that. Just taking time aside, some by some act of grace, okay. she is in that room. Um, and various, like after these tangible people come in, I have temptations come in. Like the first mm -hmm. one is like temptation to believe that God doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And that that's embodied by a character. The second one is temptation um, to believe that God isn't good. And that's embodied by a character. And the third one is temptation to believe that like I don't deserve love. And all of them, like, she battles with. The one where God isn't good, they actually, like, fist fight. <laughs> <laughs> that oh was great. Genius. <laughs> they fist fought, like, um, because it's an angry, it's an angry, like, doubt. Um, it's like, you aren't good. Um, and then, and she, like, it's only after, like, she, she eventually, like, arguing with them, She's like, I want you to leave. And she doesn't have the power by her own words to dismiss no. the doubt. But it's only after the priest says, like, go in the name of <gasps> Jesus. Like, I rebuke you. Um, and, like, the doubt leaves the room. And, um, which, like, Whoa. that was, like, because that's just, like, that's just the spiritual truth. But, like. That happens, and then eventually he absolves her, um, and that's when he lifts up his hands. I just love the surprise revealing his hands. I should just make like a three-part play with all these hidden Jesuses. Um, he he lifts his hand and it's like pierced and absolves her, and yeah. I think it's beautiful, and I just want to say. It kind of blows my mind when you said, okay, three tempters come in. I thought it would be like typical teenage party stuff. Like, hey, here's the guy with the bottle of vodka. Yeah. You know, oh, and here's the girl who's like, hey, do you want to make out with this random boy who came mm -hmm. from such and such? That like, I, mean, I just... That would, those would be good additions, honestly. <laughs> yeah, but, but I think yours is better because your three tempters are... They're very core to life. You know, does God exist? Is God good? These were not the first thing on my mind. So it was surprising, and yet it's mm. true. And I think that's what an excellent surprise in a story is, is mm. you're truly surprised. You're, you're just, whoa, what just happened? But you couldn't predict it. And it's true, because these are the real issues. And I feel like it makes so much sense that you chose that, especially in the context of a party, because... Those are the doubts of that scenario, you know. Ooh. You like, Ooh. you you, if you are you know heavily involved and f and feel like you need that um, way of life, that is those doubts, like those three things. And as you were talking, I was like, that's it. Like that's that from those three doubts, like everything 
all other problems come from those three things. And so, you know, like you said, um, Mr. Webker, like a bottle of vodka, you know, it's like if you go back to the root of that, you know, <clears throat> of why would someone be in there with a bottle of vodka and offering it to you, um, you know, it goes back to the root of like, is God good? You know, because if he's good, then he's sufficient. So, like, I think it's really cool that you just, like, cut to the chase. You're like, we're not even going to do these, like, you know, superficial temptations, quote-unquote temptations, but, like, just cutting to the real deal. Like, what all, all of these other temptations, like, right. where they come from. Like, because that's a really cool thing, like, distinction to, to be able to make, like. Be because these are huge issues. If God exists, then maybe that determines everything. And if God doesn't exist, well, then maybe that determines everything. And if there is a God, if God is good, well, that's monumental. But if God is indifferent or if God is evil, then we live in a completely different world from that point. So, yeah, everything just seems to me like you centered it on the key things. You skipped over the more conventional right. temptations that people have and that made the play the interesting yeah i mean it's like they're all very much one and the same it's not a random doubt of i don't know if I can the microphone. it's not it's not random it was not random but it also was there was just that layer of depth abby could i also compliment you on something that i think you do that okay in a lot of religious art, it gets criticized because people say, oh, you know, the character just runs to Jesus and then all the problems are solved and isn't that great and it's just so easy. In yours, none of it's easy. Absolutely none of it's easy. The, the girl at the beginning is in the state of suicidal despair. She is not happy at the end of the play. She is just consoled. There's a difference. I mean, she has like a little seed or a grain of hope that could grow and blossom and truly flower and become this magnificent plant. But she does not walk out of that just, oh, you know, everything is just wonderful. You know, let's all just have milk and cookies. Life is good. It is yeah. not simple or easy. And it's the same thing in the second play. You do not let your characters off easy. <laughs> and, and, well, I think that's realistic, too. It's not like, oh, we run to Jesus, and then after that, everything is sunshine and rainbows. Thank you. Thank you. Is that intentional, or is that, or did that just seem true to you? I, why did that happen in your place? I think it's just, I think it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, we are meant. Something beautiful. So I was later telling... This is, this is some, I was, I was later telling you guys about like a funny story where Mr. Wahlberg made me cry, but he did introduce me to this concept. Um, and I've like carried this through my study of literature in college of the God-shaped hole. There's that part of me that will never be satisfied till heaven. Um, and like, yeah, we, I was listening to a podcast earlier, um, that said like, we should be starved to our bones on this earth for heaven. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, bringing this struggle with depression. I have a friend who legitimately, yeah, struggles with depression on a daily basis. And she was like, I would have nothing other than this cross. Like, um, because it, it's very much like 
how the Lord enters in. Um, he, he, what are the words of St. Augustine? I saw you in my wounds, Lord, and your glory dazzled me. So, like, yeah, having this, these wounds still exist. Like, our Lord still has his wounds. He still suffers. Um, and so, yeah, I think just reality. I don't know where I was going with that. But this reality of God shaped whole. And it, like, still continues. Um, yeah. That Jesus may be our consolation, mm-hmm. and he may be in our corner, but... Mm-hmm. That doesn't wipe away human emotion. That doesn't wipe away sadness or despair. It doesn't necessarily wipe away real problems that people have. We still have to deal with those things. We just have, we just have an extraordinary ally who, yeah. who loves and cherishes us and, and maybe will give us solutions. And I think that's, you know, like this paradox that I've been reflecting on for a long, long, long time, and I can talk about it more in my interview, I guess. But um, I, I guess just this idea that beauty and suffering are not separated. Hmm. <laughs> like, there's, I think the reason why there's good art out there is because people have suffered, like, immensely. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I just, yeah, I don't know. I think... I, I do not know why that is, and I think it's one of the biggest mysteries of our life, um, is why there's so much beauty to be found in suffering. Um, but it's so, it's so good. So and I it's interesting to me, the people who are trying to avoid all the suffering in life wind up either creating more of it, or they wind up never really experiencing a whole lot of beauty mm-hmm. in their life. I, I just, yeah, yeah. It, the, the stunted life is, is half-developed. It's just, you just don't get that full emotional range. Right. Yeah. Hey, speaking of the full emotional range, let's go in the opposite direction. Let's talk about this <laughs> wedding speech that you gave. Oh. Because honestly, this was the funniest thing that I think I've heard in a very long time. I, I just, I couldn't even oh. believe it. I'm just going to set the stage <laughs> a little bit from my point of view. So you go to the typical wedding. And the best man gets up and he gives usually kind of a slam where he's like making fun of the groom. And it's, it's all very funny. It's all in good humor. And, but okay, the groom's kind of the target. And then everybody laughs. And then the maid of honor gives a speech about the bride. And usually it's very sweet and it's very tender and it's very serious and it's very sincere. Well, this one, the, guy, the best man got up and gave a speech. And I don't remember what he said. And then you, <laughs> and then you got up, and then I don't know. Can you say what you said because oh, it was just, LOL. it was a scream. <laughs> I, I just was floored, and I was just laughing so hard. Oh, well. So my sister married a teacher at my school, and basically this teacher like all the girls were just like. Um, Gaga. Gaga over him. And, like, you know, either scheme to marry them themselves or, like, marry their older sisters to him. And so I I just think it's funny. But basically, I told this story of, like, I mean, my sister is wonderful for anyone who doesn't know. Because I imagine St. James listeners to this. Um, my sister's wonderful. Very sweet woman. Um, good woman. Hardworking. And, like, who could be this equal match for her? Um, And then 
all along, lo and behold, I, like, have all these Tyler Sakala stories, like, one, <laughs> this is so ironic, like, sitting on the driveway with my friend, like, freshman year of high school, and she's, like, telling me all about Mr. Sakala, like, all these, like, all, it's just so funny, like, what girls, like, I think that we just do this, like, talk about the life events or the, the um, biographical details of teachers, like, all the time, in, like, full detail. Um, and, yeah, she was just telling me all this stuff, and I was like, okay. And then, like... Because people think he's superhuman. Because, I yeah. mean, he, he ran an Ironman, he sold his car and biked, you know, 16 miles to work every day, both ways. Uh, he didn't eat for five days because he was doing a controlled fast. That's uh, you know, he, he, know he lifts weights. He's speaks multiple languages, you know, uh, just double majored in philosophy and theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's mm-hmm. traveled the world. You know, he, he just, he's excellent at making money. Um, and he's super friendly and humble about everything. So I, I don't know. I'm thinking girls just must, <laughs> girls are looking at him. about that. I don't know what it is about that. No, I'm just kidding. Girls are looking at him and saying, break me off a chunk of that. <laughs> oh, good God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, it would just be funny. Like we would drive, I would drive home with a car full of girls and we'd argue about like who, me and one other friend had like an older sister and we'd argue who, whose sister would get to marry Tyler and then one of my friends was like I'm gonna marry him like what are you guys talking about and like this is probably like half our grade um to his embarrassment but yeah my sister calls me my freshman year of college she's like some teacher from St. James asked me out um and I was like oh my gosh stayed up all night okay sleep a wing this is so this is like my favorite thing that Abby's ever told me. So earlier this week, we were getting coffee and chatting and she was telling me about this, um, this day that she found out that her sister was going on a date with, um, the Tyler Sapala. And, um, she goes, and this made my, I think whole week. She goes, I stayed up all night. And sat on my bed and smiled. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, it was really weird. If you know what Abby looks like, you can totally just like picture her just doing that. Like her smile, just like, I don't, I didn't even picture it as like a, like, whoa, like a super happy smile, but just like a very pleasant Abby. And like that made my whole life so much better. So that like is one of my favorite things about. Oh, it was so joyful. I just, I can't explain it. Like, the second hand joy was so strong. I was, like, smiling in bed all night. Like, my roommate was, like, you're so weird. Like, I just, like, couldn't stop screaming. I screamed into my pillow. Like, you know. Okay, so it was she was, like, she was, like, oh, my gosh, calm down. It's just the first day. Yeah. That's so yeah. cute. Um, and so, like, she tells me the details of the first day. I tell everyone. She's, like don't tell anyone like he has a professional life like and I like text everyone I know like my sister's going on a date with Tyler it's Sakala. like when Jesus heals someone and he says please exactly. don't tell anyone and exactly. you're like uh, nope Abby's like wandering into Kmart and saying you random person in aisle 7 I need you to know this oh yeah I like Kmart. way overshared it um but fortunately it did work out 
I think I just knew from the offset, I'm like, they would be so compatible. Like, mm-hmm. I guess so. I mean, they are happily married now. They are happily married. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, they're very compatible. It is, it is a wonder. And it's a wonder how God kind of like the timeline of your life. It's a true testament to like, he works out everything according to his plan because like, yeah, they're just prepared exactly at the same time. Um, and he okay. made them leave. Yeah. So what happened in the story? What happened in the story? <laughs> like, what was in the speech? Uh, oh, what <laughs> speech? speech? Yeah. Speech. What speech. else is there? Um, well, I mean, you, okay, you started by scheming, mm-hmm. like how all the girls were scheming, and how yeah. they're all completely in yeah. love oh, with gosh. my friend. <laughs> That's um, so, yeah, they, they get together, and they're dating, and... I, do you want, like, the end of it? Like, yeah, the end of the okay. speech, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I'm just reflecting, like, it was a big day of, like, meditation for me because, yeah, preparing for it, one of my roommates was like, hey, I want you to enter into the present moment as much as you can. So I was like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, what is this, what is God saying to me about through my sister's wedding? Um, and, like, also just reflecting, like, they both have had to wait so much. They've had life events and, like, strife. Um waiting for their future spouses. Sometimes it happens with people. Sometimes people meet just like right in college and it's seamless. Um, but everyone has, has sorrows in their vocation um, or on the way. God makes people wait. Um, but I was just reflecting on a line by St. Therese of Lisieux. She says, I, I know that my God is good. I know that my Jesus is good. Um, he does not tease us and he is not cruel. If he gives you a desire... It is his intention to fulfill it. And, like, that's just, that's his goodness. Like, yeah, he doesn't give desires. He doesn't also intend to fulfill. And so, all throughout their waiting, because they both, yeah, they're getting married a little later. And, like, the things they went through. Um, so, that that's a, that's something I was reflecting on. I was also reflecting on, they, they got, um, agreed to get married. And I was like, heck, I'm going to read that book, too. Um even though I'm, like, not getting married right now. Um, And there's, I mean, that book is profound. I've learned so much that isn't even, like, in regards to marriage, but just love. Fulton Sheen is brilliant. Anyone out there, read Fulton Sheen. Um, Give Fulton Sheen to your friends. Like, but he, he, he quotes a poem where this woman picks up a child, and the child, like, kicks and fights in her arms, and... This, this poet reflects, I guess this is how our souls are with God. We are just not yet ready to be held by him. And so marriage, as Fulton Sheen puts it, is this preparation to be held by him. Like all human love is. Like, you know, we get this mindset that we're like, it's about loving, but it's like about receiving his love ultimately. Like Jesus Christ came on earth to, be, to receive love from the Father. So like, yeah, it's about receiving love. And so like marriage is just getting ready to be held. And how that is what they were doing um, for each other. Do you feel like there's, I don't know, just from what you're saying, I'm, I'm picturing three levels of love. Because I think mm-hmm. a lot of people are saying, hey, when is somebody going to love me? And so it seems, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a little selfish. And then somebody else comes along a little bit later and tells that person, well, you know, if you want to receive love, you should give love. So if you give a lot of love, then maybe you'll receive some love. And so people go, yeah, that seems like a really good way to go. So that's kind of like level two. 
But now you're introducing level three, where maybe, no, level three is we're back to receiving, but this time we're mm-hmm. trying to receive it from, from God mm-hmm. himself. That's what I'm hearing you say. Did I hear you correctly? Yeah. This is, this is actually something I've been reflecting on this spring. If you don't mind me going in like a tiny little tangent. No, please do. do. Please um, do. Please do. <laughs> there's, there's a part, um, yeah, a friend gave me a hot take recently. He was like, Jesus' sole purpose in coming down on earth was to receive love from the Father. And I was like, what? Didn't he come to love us? And actually, like, here's how the Trinity, an image for the Trinity is that, like, God is the one who kisses. Holy Spirit is the kiss. And Jesus Christ receives the kiss. He's the one who receives it. And, like, in our mentality, we're, like, power dynamics. Like, therefore, like, isn't Jesus lesser, you know? But actually, that isn't true. Like, the one who receives is just as great. Um, And, like, that's how we are, being created beings. Like, I can, in the words of St. Therese of Lisieux, um, I feel like I've quoted her 50 times already. I just can't tell that. But she was just like... That's actually a great book. Totally recommend people read St. Therese Lisieux's book, Story of a Soul. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very good. Yeah. She... She deserves to be a doctor in the church, as she is. Um, and she, so there's one part where she says, I have no love. Can I borrow some from you, God? And, like, that's just the truth about our nature. It's like, I don't have any love on my own. Like, it simply comes from him. So, yeah. I don't know how we got on that topic. No, because but, I asked about oh, the wedding. Okay. And, yeah. and so, and about the funny speech. <laughs> and then your, your brain went to serious. That's my how we got on That's how it all did. And contemplative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think that's actually a perfect segue into this next section, which I want to talk about, which is just what type of a writer do you want to be and Whoa. what projects do you envision for yourself perhaps in the future? I just have a whole bunch of questions regarding like your preferences and things along those lines. So I, I guess, yeah, what type of a writer do you want to be? And, and is it more than one type? This is very interesting. This is, I'm glad. This talk is good because I feel like I'm under jurisdiction by God. And he's like, so, you know, writing, da, da, da. What are you thinking about it? Mm-hmm. So I, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think there's, I go through periods where I like am no longer doing the creative thing with writing so much. And I'm like focused on like, you know, just getting my cast on daily, daily bread, like painting and like, I don't know, work. And, like, I forget about the writing aspect. It's hard. It's competing. And, like, I also, you know, I don't want to do something that's just my dream. Otherwise, it'll, like, fall apart. Um, But I have had, I have done this more, like, nonfiction bent. The older I get, the more I do essay writing, the more I think I've had some professors who've really encouraged that for me. And, like, there's certain things, like... um, yeah, I recently, like, I, I love, like, church history, and so, like, writing in that. This also, like, I've had, like, I have a sympathy for um, different cultures, and also, like, how does that play out with, like, Christianity and culture? Kind of just going back to the first love of history, um, which I'm sure we can talk about. But that, um, and yeah, if I, if I would be writing, like, right now I feel a lot of research, is on my heart just to be reading and doing that. Um, but I also think, I don't know, like my dream, if we're talking real like dreams out there, if anyone has seen Terrence Malick films, I really love them. Um, this is something my brother-in-law, brother-in-law has gotten on. Um, 
And who is Terrence Malick? Terrence Malick. Ooh. Um, well, basically, like, he's a filmmaker like no other. People like him, love him, or hate him. Like, I have a good amount of friends who are like, this is just filled with random images, and I have no idea what to make of this film. If anyone has seen A Hidden Life or heard of it, The Tree of Life, um, Knight of Cups is one. Um, there's several. Those are the ones that I've seen so far. But basically, he's different from other filmmakers in that he, like, he films like... A lot of scenes in nature to describe interior conflict mm. in people. So you will see in a hidden life, this man is discerning whether or not he should um, take the oath again, take the oath um, of loyalty to Hitler. And like, there's lots of scenes of like fog rising in the mountains to describe like his inner turmoil. Um, and there's just a whole lot of that. There's a lot more waiting. There's a different sense of time in Terrence Malick films, more realistic. Like his his films are like three hours long. People people like that or hate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, they I think they're they're very true because that's actually how time goes. And like a lot of his characters, main characters, don't say anything ever. Like, what? They don't ever say anything. It's all like the world is impressing upon us because that's actually more realistically how we live our lives. We spend more time in silence or just like receiving things. Um, And like, so you can also insert yourself like Knight of Cups. There's this man who's middle-aged and like he's in like this point of like, he's, he's, he's in a period of depression. He's like pursued all these like lusts of his life, his whole life. Like that's his big, it's kind of a St. Augustine story. Okay, so this guy has pursued the seven deadly sins, like gluttony, <laughs> lust, yeah, yeah, greed, sloth. Yeah. You know, he's, he's glutted himself on every pleasure mm-hmm. he could think of, and now he's empty. Yeah, it's a saint. It's a modern Saint Augustine, and um, yeah, and it's just it's it it follows his life of sin, and this like interior conflict, and like there's a lot of just like him sitting filming or like filming him just walking around like so Terrence Malick different style of films I can't like encapsulate all of it and just and it's like Terrence Malick taught philosophy at like MIT for a while like he's a philosopher he doesn't even have I don't even know he has a degree in filmmaking like so he approaches it with philosophy like people interpret and they're like they bring it in they bring in this philosophy in this way and he's clearly a theist too clearly I think Christian I think he's definitely um so beautiful, but my ideal would be if I if I could have a Terrence Malick film, that would be like the about the the period of from the Annunciation to like Joseph and Mary, like living together and like both of their paths to like accepting. Oh, you, you would do a story that basically kind of showed Saint Joseph's life and Virgin Mary's life up until their marriage. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like annunciation to their marriage. Okay. Yeah. So um, so two plots that merge into one plot. Yeah. Yeah. And and just this profound, I guess, hidden story mm-hmm. of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like a lot of it contemplating, like I just had this like thought in my head, like if she was free from sin, Mary is free from sin, then like she would have experienced the kind of union that Adam had in the garden before sin. Adam and Eve had like this like um what he's told by God, you can subdue the earth. And I imagine they had this like supernatural connection with the earth. Um, or they're like, yeah, like, I don't know what that would be like, but to have like, that would be really cool. 
If Terrence Malick hears this, you know, I, I don't know how I get contact with him, but maybe I could someday. I'm going to tell him about this. But Reach out to Abby, and uh, she <laughs> yeah. will help you write the script. Yeah, if he wants me to write a script, okay. I will that. I, I think that's totally startling and beautiful, what you just said. I just never would have guessed that in a million years. I was, <laughs> you know, like... If you would have said, so if, if you would have said, hey, I'm going to write mystery novels, or I'm going to write science fiction, or I just would like to write contemporary stories about love, wow. I just would have thought, mm, okay, so that's your ambition. But instead, you you wrought something that's just completely beyond my imagination. Yeah. Thank we, you. We will see. Like, I have no idea. I, I thank you for asking me about that, Mr. Webker, because also, like, how did you decide to pursue, like, because I know you pursue literature. Yeah. In your free time, too. And it's hard because sometimes you're like, will this get published? Yeah. You know, like, will people want to read this? Like, I think that's a big doubt. And, like, honestly, like, I need to confront that and be like, that's despair's voice. But also, like, you don't want to do something that isn't God's work. Like, I could have this dream, but I'd be deceiving myself, like, if it isn't his work. Like, that, too. Or, like, it isn't, like, you know. Yeah. I don't know. But thoughts on that, Mr. Webker? Well, I... Oh, gosh, this is tough. And, and just as you were asking the question, I thought, I don't know if I have a good answer for this, Abby. But mm -hmm. I also remember another person on a podcast saying the best thing about a podcast oftentimes is just people being real and maybe you don't edit anything and you stumble yeah. over things and, and somebody asks an interesting question and then somebody else is thinking, thinking with the other person and Maybe it's going to go someplace and maybe it's not going to go someplace. But, you know, okay, when I was a kid, my parents read a lot of stories to me and my mom was a librarian. So I think that was maybe like the childhood imprint. And mm -hmm. as I've gotten a little older, I've come to the conclusion that stories are really what captivate people and magnetize people. And yeah. it's what people really want because stories are true, but stories also have that element of surprise so it gets us out of boredom and it puts us in wonder and awe. And stories teach us what other people are like. I, I remember reading a world-famous psychologist, I think Daniel Kahneman, who's PhD, Israeli, world-class, et cetera. He said, psychologists are really just frustrated storytellers. <laughs> Wait, mm. what? What does he mean by well, that? Well, he means we psychologists wish that we understood people the way that a novelist or a playwright mm -hmm. understands people. Because a novelist and a playwright, a good one, like Abby Herrick, with her two plays, um, really understands people. And I thought, wow, that sounds fantastic. I, I wish I really understood people. And I wish that I could write stories that would captivate people. And, and I just think, you know, if the story is good enough, nobody really cares about the author. And then that's a good thing. You know, like on one level, hey, I want to know all about F. Scott Fitzgerald. You know, he and his wife Zelda and just what a bunch of drunks they were and party animals. <laughs> and, you know, and just the fact that, you know, she was in the sanitarium and he probably should have been, but maybe she shouldn't have been. They, and, yeah. you know, just and just like, okay, they're like cats and dogs. They're like mm -hmm. snake and mongoose. I mean, it's just so good. But on the flip side, you've got like Shakespeare or you've got Thomas Pynchon where nobody seems to know anything about these people. Mm -hmm. And I kind of love that because then it just sort of throws you back on the works. Like you oh. could read Hamlet or Macbeth or Romeo and Julio. You could read any one of these yeah. 
And then you think, well, I wonder if there's something in Shakespeare's life that would illustrate why he's doing this thing in Romeo and Juliet. So then you go to read about Shakespeare, and then it turns out some people don't even think Shakespeare was Shakespeare. They think somebody else wrote the plays. And we just have like this tiny little resume about his life. Okay, married, some kids, da-da-da-da, that kind of stuff. We don't know that much. And so then people were like, I guess we got to go back to Romeo and Juliet. We've got to reread the play, and it just throws you back on the work. And and that's what I love, because the story... how it should be. Yeah. Like, why do we psychology... I don't know. Why, why do we, we analyze the author? Analyze the author? I think it's because we want easy answers. I really do. Like, okay, this person lived to be 100. They were an author. He or she was an author. And, uh, and we think we know so much about them. You know, like you take, say, Hemingway, and we say, oh, okay, so he was married four times. Uh, he, he got in every plane crash he could possibly get in. He went to every war he could possibly go to. Uh, he drank like a fish. He fought like a boxer. You know, he thought he was a tough guy. He kind of was a tough guy. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe he was recruited by the CIA and the KGB. It's, it's all pretty wild. And so then we think, oh, I want to know about that. And then we start to learn, but after a while we get kind of bored. We say, well, you know, maybe he was just kind of a drunk, you know, and so then we mm-hmm. label this person. The minute you can label the person, then you can dismiss the person. Mm-hmm. Then the person, okay, now now I understand him. Yeah, okay, Hemingway was a guy who couldn't, yeah, yeah, he got married four times because he can't keep his marriage together, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's drunk. So, okay, mm-hmm. got him labeled. Who's next? Label the next guy. Label the next girl. Label the other girl. Label this guy. Mm-hmm. And then you can't do that with, say, a Shakespeare or Chaucer or Thomas Pynchon because so little is known about these people. In a way, I think that's just fantastic because it just throws the emphasis back on the story. And then we learn about people. We learn about our friends and our neighbors from stories. I think that's what I really love about stories. Like Tolstoy, they always said Leo Tolstoy is writing about you and he's writing about your family and he's writing about your friends, no matter who you are, unless you're a total weirdo, in which case Dostoevsky's got you covered. Yeah, yeah, you're always <laughs> set. Relate to a rascal. <laughs> right. Just kidding, right. I don't. Tol- <laughs> but that's really, that's really interesting. That's, that's what I love about stories. Us, like It should want us to change ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Yes, wow. stories to change the world. That's, that's what I, I wanted stories that would have a deep personal impact mm-hmm. on other people mm-hmm. and then also on me, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. what I wanted to achieve. And mm-hmm. all the people who want to have an easy bumper sticker will, you know, get a bumper sticker. Some of those are very funny. <laughs> My favorite bumper sticker of all time is the one that said, you know, when I die, I hope to die peacefully in my sleep, resting like my grandpa did, and not like the passengers in his car who were screaming and yelling. Oh, oh my gosh, that was a bumper sticker. That was a bumper sticker. It's a long... It was pretty long. Yes, yeah, to say, uh, stuff like... That's really, that's really funny. I nearly rear-ended the person yeah. reading the bumper You're sticker. Like, I have to... This is Wouldn't that call. be helpful? That's what you get for putting oh. it back there. You want people to look at it so they don't have to... Yeah. Get real so close. Good. Okay, so kind of getting back to, to writing... Do you make outlines? Do you do character sketches? Oh. What do you do, Abby? Like, what are your nuts and bolts? Hmm. 
I make very intense, well, I'm thinking about my essays right now, I'm like intense, intense outlines. Sometimes it's to the point where it's like, I spend two weeks writing an outline and get to the final day, like, oh my gosh, I need to actually write. Um, so we're trying to like get away from the outline, but that, yeah, writing processes are interesting. Um, I think I so. Want, I'm excited to master that a little bit more, just because like at the root of it, even if I don't, you know, do research, don't become an author, like... To understand that as a future English teacher, um, to understand like it's all about processing. So, yeah, I like to talk about what I'm writing a lot too before I write anything. Like they say, that is a very good way to articulate yourself. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You talk it out and you make copious outlines. Yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's okay. Do you think about things like settings? Because I think setting sometimes is the secret weapon in a play or in a story. Mm. Because sometimes settings condition who the characters are. Then, of course, characters drive plots. I do, I do find that. Yeah, yeah. This, I think with the, you know, like the dream movie. Um, I think I, I like think about settings a lot um, in my screenplay. I like to put that, put detail into that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Where do you start? Do you start with plot or character or theme or setting? Hmm. Or do you just start with a sentence? Where do you I start? Think, I think images come first to my head. Wow. Yeah. I think I also just really like like place names, like to think about, you know, the house at Nazareth, like the garden and the back of Nazareth. Or like, um, what if... Other things, I've, I've had other, like, movie plots in my mind before. One of them is, like, one sister gets kidnapped, and the other sister isn't, and it's, like, 20-year journey um, between the two. And, again, I'm, like, I don't know, like, maybe I should pursue that. Like, I kind of remember that just a little but Or, like, the New Orleans one, like, I think of specific houses on, like, you know, old Bourbon Street. Um, not how it is nowadays, but, like, yeah. Can I give you a piece of advice on these yeah, ideas that are I, I floating around in your head? I've been wanting that, please. Well, I, I think you should either have a notebook or you should have a bucket of index cards or something where every time you get an idea, you can write it down mm -hmm. and drop it in the bucket. And instead of saying, hey, I maybe don't have time to write right now, mm -hmm. take the attitude that, you know, life is long and you're very young. And so maybe it might be a year from now. It might be five years from now. It might be 25 years from now. Okay, I really like this Navy SEAL author. His name is Jocko Willink. And he's got about eight books. And believe it or not, this guy has got four children's books. And they're all like national bestsellers. They have titles like The Way of the Warrior Kid. He gets like the kids to like, I don't know, stop drinking grape juice and do push-ups <laughs> instead. And they're pretty entertaining. But he is putting out a novel in November of 21 called Final Spin. And somebody asked him a little bit about it. And it's about two brothers. And uh, one of them, the life went up. And the other one, the life went down. And uh, somebody said, well, how did you come up with this idea? And he said, I've had this idea for 30 years. <gasps> and so, I mean, the man is 48. And he's writing this book now. And the, the guy's got like eight other books that, minimum. That gets me going, Mr. Webker. This is why I think like the bucket like, of hmm. index cards yeah, or 
Yeah. And you could do it any way you wanted to do. You could you could make a scrapbook. Yeah. You could do a collage. You could do something up on your wall. Mm. You could do like a wall filled with nothing but post-it notes. You know, mm. I was talking with another author. Her name is Erin Forbes. Really, really good. That's what she has. She has like a wall that is just nothing but post-it notes. Wow. So, and it's ideas. I love that. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't know which way. I don't know. <laughs> All I'm, all I'm saying is you write them down, and here's the reason you write them down and save them, is because I, I guess I operate under the theory that God and also the idea factory in your head gives you a second idea when you write the first one down. If you write down, if you don't write down the first one, you might either forget it or you might get stuck in that idea. But if you write it down, you're telling God and your subconscious, thank you, you just gave me an idea, thank you. So, and then God and your subconscious is going to say, you're welcome. Here's another one. But if you don't write it down, then you're not really, you're not saying thank you. Yeah. That's what I think. Gratitude Be for grateful. graces. Gratitude for graces draws on other graces. And that, yeah. Hmm. Okay. It's beautiful. Yes, that's, yeah. I'm taking note here. Wow. Abby. Is there anything I should have asked you about the craft of writing that I didn't ask? Mm. What are you saying? Mm. <laughs> mm. I don't I don't know. I guess Hmm. Let's see. I guess I just am always curious with, I mean, I know you already give, gave a why, um, but that's, yeah, you gave a why. I guess that's, I just love that interrogation. Hmm. So I don't know if you have any other, hmm. just um, uh, growing up. Did you, besides your, um, you know, because that creativity was, and that um, wonder was kind of there from the beginning, which I think is really beautiful. Um, was there anything else that you were inspired by, I guess? Ooh. Hmm. I think wonder. Wonder is good. Restore people. They say the mission of the artist is to restore people to their wonder. And so, like, I remember I like early, that. first, one of my first experiences of God. This is kind of funny. Have anyone seen The Prince of Egypt? Yeah. Y'all know? There's a scene. It's really, like, for an animated film. What a gift. Like, you know the scene where he's, like, seeing the burning bush? Mm -hmm. And... Ooh. The Lord, like, he's having this conversation. He's like, I can't. Moses is like, I can't go, you know, save the Israelites. Like, I, they know who I am. Like, I once persecuted them. Yeah. And um, God, is, him argue, and then God's telling him, like, who made man's mouth? Who made the scene, the blind? And, like, yells at him. And Moses is, like, crying because God yelled at him. And then God, like, sweeps Moses up in a cloud. And he said, like, oh, Moses, like, I will go with you. And I will smite Egypt with all my wonders. With this word wonder. 
um, mm. and how like someone oh, points out, yeah, yeah, and like reading when we read like Jesus is working wonders, just like the God of the Old Testament, as if they were the same person. <laughs> so like, I think like wonder, I yeah, like and like the world is full of wonder too. Like we, I don't know, like I have so much wonder for like. Um, watching ballet and I was thinking about this I was like dang like I think it would be cool to like collaborate with you and um, like write a play about ballet or like a screenplay about that's, ballet that's really funny because I was kind of thinking the exact same wait I was really like, yeah, what right when you were describing <laughs> just just your process of mm. what like an outline and how individual that is I Feel like it there's just this depth to it that um adding that like extra layer of beauty through a, you know this different art form ballet um would be really cool oh my gosh That'd be really yeah cool. I, oh, I, I like your, we need to talk about I like about your process. This. Yeah, I like how you've described mm. your process so far and just, I, I don't know, um, how, and even just watching you learn as your story is told back to you, these different, you know, one acts, these plays, like seeing your wonder even from hearing it again and from talking about it again and discovering things that you didn't know were there the first time. Mm -hmm. um, you're just open to being surprised. And I think that's really cool. And that's that's wonder, you know? That is, mm -hmm. that's really what wonder is. So I, I love that and I think that's oh. what beauty is. And someone said that mm -hmm. a few weeks ago and that's been, I, I will never, ever, ever forget this, that beauty is order plus surprise. Mm -hmm. Stacey Rains, mm. if you're listening. We should send this to her. Yeah, let's send it to <laughs> Stacey. I love that. Hmm. Order plus surprise. Because yeah. that's where that's where God and his infinite creativity and wonder comes in and and adds that. So we collaborate with him. I've uh, just loved listening to both of you talk about wonder. A little while back, I heard a professor of anthropology speak on the subject of wonder, Ooh, and he wow. believed that we should try to restore wonder to the world. Because he was about mm, 38, something like that, and he basically was speaking to a bunch of people in their 30s and 40s, and he was saying, uh, you're all pretty bored, aren't you? And, uh, oh. you know, and you feel pretty stultified, Shoot. don't you? And everyone's oh, kind of like... Everyone's kind of like, yeah, where's yep. this going? Can I just go yep. get a bagel and coffee? And one guy was like in the back talking about beer or something. And um, anyway, this professor was saying, you know, when I was a kid, um, apparently uh, I was exploring nine times as much territory as uh, the generation that came just immediately after me. And then if you do the studies, oh. if you go back two generations, like your grandparents, what? well, this is so interesting. Like, okay, if you go back to the grandparents, people are exploring physical territory. Like they're getting out of the house, like the kids are gonna go play, they're, and they're gonna go be in the yard, they're going to be in the forest, they're going to be by the stream, by the meadow. They're gonna, I don't know, go play in the drainage ditch, whatever, they're gonna go all over the place. And the grandparents are exploring literally 81 times more territory 
than the kids today. Like uh, it shrank by a factor of nine going from the grandparents to the, to the anthropologists. And then he said, my son, we are so nervous about everything. We don't let him out of the backyard. But meanwhile, grandpa was out there like exploring square mile after square mile. So is, <laughs> so is grandma. Maybe that's how they so, met. Maybe that's how the two of them. Yeah. Yeah, they just bump up against yeah. each other. And then he's like, hey, you're kind of cute. And then she's like, mm, you're kind of interesting. And, you know, who knows? Maybe that's how their romance got started. But, but the point is, is that he was saying, this anthropologist, that we've just lost our sense of wonder. And then, so then he would explain he would try to do things in his classes, do something completely different every semester, never teach the same class in the same way twice, uh, give people brand new projects. He had people mapping out the entire town for GPS, for bike routes, and things like that. So, I mean, he had his students out basically exploring every square inch of the city, you know, seeing like, well, where are all the, the curbs that Abby has run over or just whatever, you know, like just everything, everything, just exploring everything. Because, you know, you're bored. You be, What's your life? It's work, home, school, work, home, school, work, home, school. You know, and that's that's a lot of people's life. And he just... Bagels he, and beer. Bagels and beer. Bagels and beer. He wanted, so I just love your emphasis on wonder. Oh my gosh, I talk about wonder for five hours. Like, and, and I just, want to know more about wonder, too. That's wonder in of itself. Wondering about wonder. I wonder. Okay. I wonder. Well, wow. I would like to actually dovetail into that for a little bit, if that's okay. How can people, in your opinion, increase the wonder in their life and not just be so bored all the time and I don't know, their cubicle? Oh, with their bagel. Yeah, with their bagel in hand. Dreaming of beer. Dreaming. I think for sure. Hiring preaching, I think. Wonder is a gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's one thing. It's like something I can only have when I really possess like God. Like, I don't know. It's this like renewal um, that comes with the Holy Spirit. So I think praying for it. Um, and technically defined, it's like that which we feel at what we don't know. So it's also like, I don't know, also I just feel like I follow natural tendencies of things that like make me curious. Um, and like pray to mm. overcome, like we get so jaded and cynical about everything. I once went to a prayer session where a woman like stood up and, you know, rebuking of spirits. And she's like, in the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke the spirit of cynicism. And I cast into the wounds of Jesus Christ. And so, like, cynicism is a real thing. Like, to, to I think we get very used to being, like, cynical about things. People tell us ideas, and we're like, that's a bad idea. Or, like... We shoot things down yeah. before we give them a yeah. try, is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. Somebody says, hey, I'm thinking about going to fill-in-the-blank, Madagascar, Costa Rica. Somebody <laughs> else goes, oh, I wouldn't go to Madagascar. Then we think, yeah. why, would I, why mm -hmm. was I thinking Madagascar? Maybe I shouldn't go. And so you just immediately shoot it down, I guess is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. You also said that you sort of explore your own natural um, impulses, that if you're curious about something, see, I think a lot of people say, hey, I'm just too busy. You know, I've got too many other things. I'm sure I'm curious, but, but I don't have any time. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. No wonder is 
Wonder is key. Yeah. Okay. Well, Wonder Abby, I think this has just been absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I just have one last question for you. I ask everybody this question. So let's just fast forward the clock 15 years. Mm. And so you're going to be in your mid-30s. <laughs> and um, let's just assume you're in your mid-30s and everything has just worked out wonderfully in your life. You are very happy. And I would just like to know... <laughs> why wait? You're happy now, right? <laughs> so, but what is your life like? in 15 years. What do you see for yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. I don't know. I don't know. I'm maybe I'll be in my vocation by then. Maybe I'll still be single. You know, either way. Um, I'll probably be a teacher. Okay. Um, it's very interesting because I remember like playing in my backyard in middle school and being like, I know everything that I need to know. Like I like had that thought for some reason. I was like, I know everything I need to know. Abby, like, you were a weird kid. <laughs> I like, what was loved, I thinking? <laughs> I loved, no, I, I look I think that's very normal, but but please go ahead. <laughs> what were what were yeah, and so like now I'm like if I feel like I've it's been what since the beginning of high school, it's been like six years and my life has changed radically. Even since last year, my life has changed radically. How many like different orbits? Like what will I be like then? Um, how much more joyful will I be then? Like if I feel like I'm super joyful now. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Writing things, that would be interesting to see how these gifts develop. Hopefully I like get more on task. Yeah, <laughs> that's a desire. Like, <laughs> want to be more on task, you know, kind of abstract, but yeah. Do you mean more on task with your writing? On task, I think just like the things I yeah more. I I hope I would be more disciplined. I think that that comes with age, though. People say writing more, like more dis disciplined, more prudent um, with their time. Uh, okay, and just from my point of view, from being an older person, uh, I think self discipline is life's hardest skill to acquire. Mm -hmm. For real. Yeah, and hardest I think yeah, hardest skill to acquire. Mm -hmm. And so uh, your brother-in-law has a book called Discipline Equals Freedom, mm -hmm. which is by that Navy SEAL dude I was talking about. I thought you were saying he wrote it. And I was That's like, what the I heck? He, no, no he, he okay. owns a copy and he swears by that book and I swear by that book. And and I just think anything you can mm -hmm. do to increase your self-discipline, mm -hmm. even and but give yourself permission to to go slowly with this. And what I mean by that is Let's say you say, okay, I do want to be a writer, so I'm going to set aside time every week so that I write. But instead of saying, hey, I'm going to set aside five hours a day, you know, give yourself permission to maybe start by saying, hey, I'm going to set aside one hour every other day, but it's going to be scheduled mm -hmm. so that it actually happens. Because let's say you set aside an hour every other day. That's going to be 182 hours in a year. And you're just going to be way ahead of the other person. I'll just tell you a little story. There was a student here at school who I think was about 16, and she wanted to become a sketch artist. So she's about 16, and she starts, and she's really not that good, to be honest. And then a year later, she is doing borderline photographic realism because every single day, she was just sketching. So when she was 
maybe yeah. bored in class. Hey, she's still listening to the instructor. She's yeah. paying attention, but she's doing like her little sketches, etc. I, I just, my mind. yeah, I just think put in a little bit of time every day. It's very mm -hmm. mechanical, which I think sometimes in the artistic world, people don't like that because they think, oh, well, that's just mechanical. That's just like yeah. flipping bricks. Yeah. They, right. they think that you're punching a clock. Well, yeah, yeah, you are. That's you are. Work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. William Faulkner, the great novelist of the 20th century, mm -hmm. they asked him, what's your secret of composition? And he said three things, inspiration, perspiration, desperation. Emphasis on the perspiration. Inspiration, perspiration, desperation. Yeah. Emphasis on the perspiration. You put in that effort every single day, a little bit. And uh, I, I found from personal experience, if I feel good about what I'm doing, I might feel good about it nine days out of 10. If I'm super lucky, 19 days out of 20. And then there's just going to be that day or two where you think, yeah, I did put in my hour or my two hours and my work product is garbage. Mm -hmm. But then you look back at the whole calendar and then you say, yeah, but 95% of those days were great. Mm -hmm. And I can fix this problem that I created on the 20th day during the revisions, during the rewrites. There's just no substitute for daily practice. This is, I guess, my take on things. I need to hear that. Absolutely. I need a notepad for the staying. Well, it's all recorded, so you can you can listen. Oh yeah. To hey. Heck yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. Just, you know your daily uh, discipline reminder. You just turn on this oh podcast and listen to it every morning. Well, on that final note, uh, shall we conclude this podcast? Heck yeah. Abby, Molly, thank you so much. Yeah. This is awesome. This was a blast.